Welcome to It's Radio. I'm your host, Jeff Meyer. Today I'm coming to you from Valdesta, Georgia. So we're down here doing a HITS uh, patrol dog class. We call it an advanced patrol dog class that one of the HITS partners put together, Jeff Barrett. So we're in Valdesta, Georgia tonight. We've got handlers from several different states with us tonight. And uh, we've got quite a few trainers here that are down here. And we're all uh, having a good time training dogs. So I'm going to start tonight with uh, just doing quick backgrounds for all the trainers that are up here. We've put a trainers panel together, and we're just going to talk a little bit about our background. So if, if you want, I'll start first. I, I uh, just retired from uh, Denver PD. I did more than 33 years there. I've been involved in uh, canine for most of my career, either as a decoy, and then um, I started handling dogs uh, about 1996. I've trained uh, patrol dogs for a long time. I handled quite a few patrol dogs, some dual purpose dogs. And then I ended up by getting tasked with starting a detection dog unit. So I was fortunate when I retired. I had uh, worked every kind of dog that our agency has, and that's pretty much all I did on our department. So was a trainer for all the different units in the department and was able to uh, train a lot of dogs to our department. And then through our HITS company that we do the training, and um, at one time I owned a magazine, so I've traveled really all over the world training dogs. And now as I'm retired, I'm training dogs all over the country um, so doing a lot of that and then I'm going to pass it down and we're going to talk to all of our trainers that we have here tonight so the first one I've got is uh, Blake Broadhurst and he'll give his uh, background Hi, I'm Blake Broadhurst. Uh, tell you a little bit about myself. I'm a 15-year law enforcement uh, with the Orlando Police Department. Uh, in those 15 years, done about 13 years on TAC units, been on SWAT, um, dope units, been in training, um, hold certificate. So, oh, sorry, hold uh, certifications in active shooter, um, patrol K9 and DT. Um, basically, my background is going to be in uh, especially in uses of force. Uh, as a younger guy, I got into about 120 to 150 uses of force in my career. So I was lucky to get a lot of experience on how to take bad guys down, the good and the bad. Uh, and then what I've been doing over the last probably about decade, I actually got into uh, uh, goju karate, which is basic, basically open hand stand-up fighting. So I've taken that experience of all those uses of force, and then I've built a skill level in goju fighting um, to kind of complement each other. <clears throat> as far as uh, that's concerned, what I've done, I was transitioning that into my canine career. I've done about a decade in canine. Uh, and as of lately, I uh, started my own company, Mav1 Tactics. And basically what we do is we focus on building the handler skill uh, and ability to take bad guys down as a team with their dog and with their cover officers. So I've used my canine background and then my martial arts background and kind of merged them together uh, to have different tactics and techniques of how to do that efficiently and effectively. Okay, good. Next, we have uh, Aaron Peterman. Aaron, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, thanks for having me, Jeff. Everybody calls me AP, uh, short for Aaron Peterman, of course. I started with uh, the Polk County Sheriff's Office in 1997. I did roughly four years there and then went to um, Lakeland PD, which is in Central Florida inside Polk County. I, I got on our SWAT team in, in 2001 and did uh, roughly five years in our street crimes unit. And then I, could, I figured out that I don't have to chase people. Uh, <laughs> I can go to K-9 and let the dog do it. So um, in a gist, I worked uh, four dogs total, ended up getting promoted, um, being the sergeant of the unit for a while. All, all four dogs were dual purpose. Three of those were uh, 
dogs assigned to the team. Here recently, I switched to investigation just to help my retirement out a little bit. Still heavily involved in, in K-9 in our, in our unit. I'm also the, um, the USPCA Region 1 president, which basically encompasses Florida, Georgia, and Alabama. Okay, good. Next, we have Dan Dar. Hey, thanks, Jeff. I'm Daniel Dar. Um, been a handler for coming up on 10 years with the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Uh, been an instructor with HITS coming up on about three years. I'm also on the SWAT team as the canine handler. Um, pretty much, uh, I'm an instructor of close to 31 dogs at the Polk County Sheriff's Office. Um, 20 of those are patrol. Some of them are bloodhound and single purpose detection dogs. And so I have, I'm certified as a FDLE firearms instructor and then um, just helping out with patrol stuff and sure. tactics with Jeff. Yeah. Jeff Barrett from uh, HITS Canine. Hey guys, I'm Jeff Barrett. I'm one of the owners of HITS. I've got 33 years in law enforcement. 31 of those were spent with a leash in my hand. So I spent the whole career just doing dog stuff. I didn't want to get promoted because we'd have to leave the unit. Uh, that sort of changed throughout the career, but at the age I was and the stage that I was in with the dog unit, I wasn't really interested in supervising. I just want to continue training and developing uh, skills as a trainer. So I got real lucky uh, early on and got some help from uh, Frank Campbell, who was running a multi-jurisdictional counter-drug task force. And uh, he invited me to help those guys train, and we traveled. I spent all my vacation time traveling and training and learning how to train dogs and literally just thousands and thousands of teams throughout the years that I've been doing this. And uh, the more dogs you see, the more you help, the more you understand that there's so many out there that have different personalities and not just one way to do things. And the more you understand it, the more you really learn that you just don't know everything there is to know about it. So uh, we're still learning, but it's so enjoyable to come. And everybody here is like little sponges. And I just love, you know, that you listen to what we have to say and you enjoy what we're doing. So I appreciate that. And next we have uh, Tasha Ewart from Aurora, Colorado. Hi guys, um, I'm from Aurora, Colorado. I've been with the department for 18 years now. Um, I worked our direct action response team, which is a proactive unit, for about five years before coming to canine. Um, I've been a handler in our canine unit for almost 10 years now, and I'm also the lead trainer there. Okay, good. So we have handlers here from uh, Georgia, Florida, Virginia, Kentucky, Alabama, West Virginia. So there's the room. Uh, the the group here is pretty big. We have some some people here who came down tonight to have beers with us. So first thing I'm gonna do is uh, see somebody's gonna volunteer, come up, and ask a question, and then we'll throw it out to all of our handlers. So who wants to ask a question first? Yeah, I'm from the Scammon County Sheriff's Office. It's probably a question AP can probably help us with. Uh, we're going through a transition in our department right now um, from patrol dog kind of move them to a tactical SWAT dog what kind of training do you recommend to kind of make that transition from just a regular patrol dog to assist SWAT and our TAC units I guess the perfect picture for me would be and, and let me premise this not not every team would be a quote-unquote TAC dog right everybody should be able to do it but depending on um, the nature of the person obviously your SWAT team is probably going to want a handler that's 
fit, maybe proven himself a little bit or herself, you know, and the attributes in the, in the dog or the animal. It, for me, our team, you know, we want quiet. We want social. We want that, um, that controlled chaos, if that makes sense. And I think all that comes in on, on the foundation side. You know, as we saw today, a lot of good dogs. Just a lot of, in my opinion, just, and this is my opinion, a lot of anticipation and overstimulation. They see what's coming, and it bleeds out. We want quietness. We want calm. We want clarity. And I, I think that would really help with a, with a tack dog. You know, a dog that's probably been on the street a little bit, that's been in some some fights, had some uses of force. Same with the handler, right? we got to be able to justify what we're doing. And first and foremost, uh, I think even more important than the, the apprehension side is that the dog is a locating tool. It's no different than the robot. It's no different than the drone. Uh, on our team, uh, you might sit for hours until they call for dog up. And then that dog is used to what? To locate. And then once we get an alert, if we get an alert, guess what? Okay, AP, get out of the way. Go to the back. And then SWAT's going to do their thing. So you're basically augmenting yourself to the team's tactics. And I think once you show your your tag team and your SWAT, your SWAT guys what you're capable of, and that, you know, and dogs are not 100%. You may send a dog into a house, and you may not get something because what if the dog doesn't get notary, just he doesn't get notary, and we need to make sure that they know that. They, when they go to flutter room after a dog has um, maybe sniffed the seam or checked something, they, need, they still need to use proper tactics. So what we did at, at, at Lakeland years ago is we did everything with the unit first. We did all the, all the stack um, inoculation and exposure. So if something was going to happen, if a dog redirected or, or – or, um, boiled over and took a little tag on somebody it was with us because we wanted to get all that out of the way before we got to to the team because you know what happens when they get there oh here we go here's canine yep they're gonna they're gonna get on somebody of course when all that stuff is on what does it look like you know you start putting your vests on and you got groin protectors and bicep and 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 you got the rifles the dog oh, this dude's got a bodysuit on or something so we made sure we put all that stuff on we did all the ob we did all the movement past the stack we did all the searches in a long line with with our our canine unit which was nine people so we kind of simulated a good stack and then we took it to the team and showed it to the team leaders does that help you yes it does because i never actually thought about doing it with the canine unit getting them prepared to present them to the swat team because the swat team has the same issues with our dogs about them getting tagged and all that so i think that really says a lot about doing it with this canine unit and then moving to the SWAT team. It also, what that showed us as a team is which which dogs are going to be be ready to be, do it. be the quote-unquote, we have two designated dogs. Now, every dog can do it. If I don't answer the phone, somebody else doesn't answer the phone, we can plug in somebody. But the dogs that are maybe a little too vocal or just can't get past um, – the social and the environmental of working with a big pack like that, they're probably going to be on a perimeter just outside. You had something, Jeff? Yeah, I just wanted to add to that, Kevin, is that – I just wanted to add to that, Kevin, Kevin, is that the SWAT team has an expectation of what canines capable of and what they can contribute to their operations. And – if we don't prepare before we go to a training day with them, it can be a little disheartening to them, a little disappointing for them. Uh, you know, so if I were to go to the SWAT commander and say, 
hey, how did the dogs do today? Well, we just kind of stood around and watched them fight with their dogs for control because, you know, we didn't really get much accomplished. So we as a canine unit want to kind of be prepared for that training day when we integrate with the SWAT team. So we play the role of SWAT operators uh, as canine handlers just to give those dogs that look, that mission feel, so that when we go to that training day, they can feel like they've accomplished something with the dog and they have a sense that, hey, these dogs work pretty good, you know, other than just sitting around going, oh, man, this dogs need a lot of work. I don't know if this is really going to work for us. Those are good points. I was going to throw out two uh, things I thought of, too, is, and you mentioned AP, is I think a lot of times we focus on that the dog needs to have some street bites. Now, that helps if it's going to be a, a SWAT dog, if you will. But, you know, the day and age we live in, we're not getting the bites we used to, which is fine. But I think the dog should have some legitimate locates and should show that he can work human odor and he'll stay with that human odor because that's, like AP said, that's what the dog's there to do. So you make sure that he'll find a, a prone suspect who's not moving under a bed and then stay with it and give give that indication because it's going to sink you if, if uh, you call it clear and then the SWAT guys go in and find a suspect and your dog wouldn't stay with them so and then the other point i was just going to say we didn't really mention is you mentioned not every dog can do it not every handler can do it either so uh, you know look at the handlers who want to do it and i think uh, besides there's some handlers you know i know you're a lieutenant i think there's some handlers that that maybe want to do it that aren't the right personality you know if they're going to live vicariously and all of a sudden i'm only swat i'm not going to go do a dog thing anymore because now i'm above it that's not the guy we want or it's a person who isn't going to be reliable so i think we have to look at both ends of that leash and build for success because in my experience the group that criticizes what we do more than anybody has been swat guys and they want to find a reason to criticize us and almost it, and and it, it seems almost universal as i travel that when you know if something goes wrong the first thing that the SWAT guys want to do is point to the dog and the handler or whatever so we have to build ourselves for that success and kind of be bulletproof as much as possible does that answer your question kevin it does and i appreciate that's why i come to a lot of hits and send my guys because getting different perspectives i would have never working three dogs being successful in canine never thought about it because given the SWAT team an asset not a liability and i never thought about it till they said I, I, pretty much i'm not going to put my dog on the stage till he's ready to hit this ready stage. to go and that's yeah. a good perspective and I good appreciate it. good appreciate Thank that you. Alrighty, who else has a question for this trainer group is it on yep now? it's you go ahead uh my name is john carter i'm from hamilton county indiana indiana oh i forgot indiana so how long uh, did it take you to get here uh, 12 hours 12 hour drive uh, thanks for coming yeah um so my question or my comment i guess was a lot of the times it was brought up in one of the stations that a lot of the times we know how to put a dog on somebody if we need to but that's kind of where it stops sure. and then it just becomes you know a polyester pile after that and adds to the stress of the yeah. dog uh so it was nice to actually apply some techniques to uh shorten the time on the bite and learn some techniques working around the dog while he's on a bite on the decoy a to familiarize the dog with you know getting tossed sure. around and, and staying on a bite and um familiar with maybe being away from the handler uh if the handler's going to be the one that does that takedown if they're you know in a scenario yeah. that dictates that so just kind of an overall comment that it was nice to be able to get out and see that training and do that training good good i'm glad it was worth the drive down here so 
absolutely. Actually, I had a follow-up question for you, too. Since we yeah, charity. absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I was curious what Mav1 Tactics, like where you got that name from. Actually, the Mav1 uh, name, and it's, uh, it's kind of interesting that you ask. So when I first, uh, first started this company, it was about two years ago, but we've been doing the research as far as the integration of the martial arts to the actual dog handler tactics. And when I first started, I'll be honest with you, it was not a popular thing at all. Um, when we started doing it, I got a lot of uh, people going, man, wh what are you doing? This is not ninja stuff. Just go in there, take care of business. You're doing too much. This is, this is out of the league, and this is something we don't normally do as far as use of force-wise. We let the dog do the work, and then we go in there, and we take care of business, and this is the way it's done. Uh, when I saw that, I was like, I think we can do better. Um, we're not just handlers. We're actually operators um, overall because you think SWAT, you think SEALs, uh, Delta, but we do a specialized job and all the operator means is somebody that's really good at what they do they're professionals so when i came up with the name i said you know i'm treading into something brand new and uh it's not popular right now but uh, i think there's a great need for it so i'm going to be a maverick and i'm going to do something that's off course off beat off the trail and i looked up the definition and it kind of fit there so i was like you know what uh i think we as handlers need to be number one in what we're doing uh, we need to lead the pack. And I was like, you know what? Mav One Tactics, starting something new, blazing a new trail. Good. And I know, Blake, you were going to expand on something that he's talked about earlier, too, before. <laughs> so, so you guys are talking um, a little about, about deficiencies. And um, I'll be honest with you. Um, as a young, when I first started in SWAT, um, as a young man or woman, we're doing this job, and they ask us to do a lot of cool, dangerous things. We can get ego sometimes. So our first guy came on a SWAT, uh, especially Orlando SWAT, to me that's, that's, that's a pretty high goal and standard. So when I came on the team, I was like, man, I'm, I'm pretty awesome, pretty great. I've got this background. I've been on a lot of uses of force. I'm, I'm a bad A. Well, we went to a training session uh, with a bunch of uh, special forces guys, and I found myself not being as good as I thought it was. My skill level didn't match my, um, my belief in myself, I guess you'd say. So when we did that, I saw I wasn't good as I wanted to be or as I felt. I started looking at my deficiencies like Jeff was saying. And it's a scary thing to look at because when you start looking to deficiencies, you see I got a lot of holes in these things. People are going to start judging me. And... I don't feel comfortable with that. So the biggest thing that I found that made me so much better in my career and in what I'm doing is I found the deficiencies, which for me was fighting. I wasn't very good at it. I was just very athletic. And then I started looking at deficiencies in me as a handler, as me as a person. And then I started going and taking those deficiencies on head first, taking the fears on and developing that. And the cool thing is with all this training and the hits, what I started seeing is, man, a lot of dogs have deficiencies that we don't talk about. We kind of hide. And then when I start seeing how they build them, especially Daniel with the uh, Patrick Air Force Base when we worked down there last week, how they built them step by step by step to create a dog that was now less fear, basically fearless sure. off of like four or five reps. I was like, man, this is, this is building who they are because now you have confidence in what you've done that you've built something strong. Yeah. And I think that's pretty cool today is – uh, we did a pre-evaluation, and it's not just for me, it's for you guys to see where you're at, where you're deficient at, and what we can do to help you get even better in what you're doing. Good. And I think one of the things you're doing, too, 
you know, the big buzzword in our in all of law enforcement is de-escalation. And what you're doing is is a, you know, we can either let this dog fight and fight and not maybe not be successful, or you can go over there and, and take quick decisive action. That's kind of what you're you're showing additional tools in the toolbox, and that's what de-escalation is all about about you know doing something. So I think it's a, it's a it's a newer skill, but I'm glad to see you guys doing it. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Can I ask a follow up to it? Absolutely, please. Um, <clears throat> so obviously, uh, we're increasing the effectiveness of the of the dog and decreasing the liability, hopefully, by learning some of these different techniques. Where do you like? What's your if you had an end goal for Mav One? Like, what is it? Is it the dog and human interact or uh, integration with uh, like ground fighting and deployments and stuff like that, or is it more of a uh, getting the humans up to the same standard that we're putting these dogs in terms of uh, seeing sight pictures and scenarios and stuff like that, knowing how to uh, react appropriately? So my bi- my biggest thing for 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 the Mav One part is building the handler to be as good as the dog. Um, I've, I've had op- awesome opportunities to come to these, these different teachings and teach with these guys, and they do a great job of building these dogs up, and these dogs are proficient and really good at what we're doing. Um, I think we should be at the same level as far as professionalism and ability to be at our highest game to be able to go in, and when we deploy, we're not deploying just the dog, we're deploying as a professional operative, um, I guess you'd use that word, uh, operator. And when we go out there, we should be at the same level to take these bad guys down and do it in a professional, quick, and efficient manner uh, when we're doing it. So I'm just complimenting all the work that these guys and gals are doing, just adding something on to the basics so that we're at a higher level. Level. Anybody else have any questions? All right, come on up. So my question would be for, oh, I'm sorry. I'm uh, John Peterson. I'm from uh, Mason County, West Virginia. Um, my question would be to anyone. Uh, we live in a really rural area. We don't have a lot of uh, people in our department. We yeah. don't have a lot of people that are necessarily willing to train with a dog. Sure. If you guys could give pretty good examples of what would be some good training techniques for maybe one or two people uh, that we could use to yeah. get our dogs up to better standards. Absolutely. I'll jump in first on that one. Um, I, I teach a lot of e-collar classes around the country, and when people come to a, one of my classes, they think it's about pushing the button for the, the e-collar. But when you come to my class, you know we do some classroom stuff, and the first thing we start talking about is dog psychology. And we talk about trying to train a dog when he's in in prey drive or when he's in fight drive, and and the the prey drive is very difficult to control because you know it's the dog that's chasing the bunny. And then we show how proper decoying can put that dog in a true fight drive, and then they're easier to control. But then we also transition back and forth in the class, and we do a lot of stuff with a dog with a muzzle on and a basketball, and they're running around chasing the basketball, and that's pure prey. And when we can start controlling the dog in that high level of, of drive, and they're, they're chasing a basketball, or you take them out of the muzzle, and you throw a large Kong that's bouncing it different ways, and you're calling them off that and sending them back and doing a lot of high-level distractions that you can do all by yourself, 
at the same time you're properly communicating with the dog with the e-collar and you're just you're ramping up your control over and over and over that will absolutely boil over to when you come to a place like this or you go to your regular training day so i've had people in your same situation that i show how they can do you know just some obedience stuff getting that dog in a you know if you're if your obedience is standard obedience you're walking around and you give them a, a, a tug you're not getting that dog in that high level state of arousal that we want him in so I, I would show you how to how to do that and get the dog completely crazy about the the ball and he's chasing it and then when he comes back you give him another ball but you keep playing games with him and you teach him to basically cap his drives in that mindset that will directly transfer over it's not a complete replacement but it will transfer over so then when you have that time where you do have a decoy or two decoys or you're training then you're not going to spend all the time doing the basic stuff your dog's already going to be up to there so there's there's a lot of possibilities you can do you know by yourself and the other part i would say is in your area i mean maybe even find some civilians who who are willing to come and help you you know there's some civilian trainers and stuff so anybody else have a follow-up on that Do you have a big training group there? Is there multi-agencies? or That would be the obvious and most easiest answer, but um, I, I know that's not always realistic. the most we've had is uh, three or four handlers uh, together at one time, and that maybe would happen once every three months. Um, it's just we have to pull people from a little further out, and it's just hard to get everybody in one spot at one time. Um, the most we'll really have is two or three uh, on a weekly basis. So you just you're kind of just having to make do to get some help. Yes. Yeah, and to piggyback on what Jeff said, uh, if I don't know about liability or your department, but civilians are, if you have a, a a protection sport club or somebody that's really interested in dogs, I don't know the liability issue. Maybe sign waivers, but I mean the civilian side is is where a lot of these techniques come from, and these people and you know civilians get into it. They love it, and they could they could truly be an asset. I know we have um, a Schutzen club around our area in, in Lakeland in Central Florida. And I was uh, tracking has kind of always been my nemesis because to me that's the hardest thing to, to do with a dog, I think, as a team, especially genetically if you have a, a certain dog that's maybe not uh, quite the predispositions not, not there for tracking and you bust your butt and do a good foundation. And, and uh, uh, my fourth dog, the last dog I had, I had this conception that the dog was having problems tracking. So I reached out to some of the Schutzen guys that are in the area. One's a, a jailer at Polk County. Um, and then actually, a guy in our unit now, I reached out to him. He was Schutzen, but he was just a patrol officer at the time. If you don't know anything about that sport, that's tracking is very, very big. It's footstep tracking, but we can still kind of correlate it over to police work, and you can you know turn some of that tracking into trailing to, to get the dog a little faster. So that was a big asset, Sure, getting those. And, and the one guy wasn't a civilian. He was a corrections officer, but you know he trains with that club, and, and – and the decoy side of that was phenomenal what those guys could do as far as eliciting certain things so i I would just grab a hold of anybody and everybody if you got a couple people in your department and they're interested in canine send them see see if they can go to a decoy school we put one on it hits it's a pretty good one we really get into reading the dog and before you even get to channeling drives and switching back and forth before we even get into techniques but see if they'll send them to a, a a class next thing you know you got a you got a guy or a gal that's a a good adversary or a good helper for you at the same time i think the big thing is that and i don't know if you work for i assume the sheriff's department 
I think is make sure that your command and your sheriff understand that if they're going to have a canine unit, they have to invest in this training thing. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a lot of us had the luxury that we had a training day every week. Um, that's the industry standard is four hours per week. But I mean, they're going to have to allocate you some drive time and do some training. I mean, that's part of having, you know, they, they got to buy the dog food and they got to train the dog and all that stuff. So hopefully, you know, they, they have that understanding. So, yeah. And, and just ask questions of, uh, of the people that you work with. Hey, would you mind, or are you interested in helping? You know, would you mind laying me a track tonight? Or, you know, I don't know how interested you are, but it doesn't take much effort. I kind of need a little bit of help, you know? Uh, and of course, they'd have to sign waivers or something for the liability part of it if the sheriff is okay with that but you know even if they're just hiding as decoys uh, you want to make sure they're well protected but it's important to use that diversity in in uh, your decoy work too but um, and then there's just flat out how much do you want to travel you know to put the miles on yourself and the hours to invest because you may have to go a few miles to get to somebody that's uh, in the know that can help you. And Good question. It's yeah. just yeah. it's a matter of how bad do you want it. Sometimes you know if you're living out uh, outside those boundaries of who can help. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, guys. All right. Anybody else have any questions? Now, first, I'd like to make a statement just as an outsider looking in today as an administrator and working three dogs. One thing I noticed in this, all the scenarios y'all threw, y'all made the dog and the handler very uncomfortable. Uh, AP and the, uh, the obedience, tactical obedience. He made me nervous as the administrator, <laughs> but he put them in a situation they would not lose in. And that's one thing I liked about this class. We have not failed in one scenario we've been in which I think is important for the dog. Just like me working three dogs, I've never been to a class where you have a apprehension going on and you take the bad guy down and take him under control till today. That's the first time I've ever seen that. So building searches, they put the dog in there to see what the, how the dog will react, how the handler would react. And I've seen some things today. So that's a statement anyway. But another thing too is my question is get a lot of new handlers out with new dogs they don't engage the first time so obviously i'm going to muzzle work and all that what do y'all recommend to do fresh out of school to not only give confidence to the dog to make the bite but the handler to have confidence in his dog you're saying to make the bite on the first street first, bite? So first street bite yeah yeah the, that's all preparation work so what i've found if you're just going to pick one is a lot of escapes and what i mean by escapes is that the dog don't get the bite every single time so we're using no equipment uh could that be dangerous of course but if i'm finding you know on a little short track or a little area search even if i'm just walking up to somebody uh, one of my you know prepared decoys he's not wearing nothing but a pair of shorts and i'm just commanding him to get down on the ground i'm keeping the dog stem to him and then he's going to get up and do a slow jog away, and I'm going to do a slow chase, and eventually we're going to lose him. So the dog's thinking that he's going to get that bite, and he escapes. He gets away from us. Imagine how frustrating that is for the dog. And so you do that enough, it just builds and builds and builds. And so when that opportunity comes, the dog is thinking, this guy's going to get away from me. I can't let this happen. I can't let him escape. And so that may help. And then if that's just the only one that – 
uh, I found so effective, that's the one I used. I took a dog that we didn't think would bite from a handler that didn't quite believe in the dog, and we uh, worked him and worked him, and, and he was able to succeed on the street just from that type of work, a lot of those escapes. But if you're going to do a lot of other things, that uh, prosthetic stuff, just to see, and I I want to work that properly. I don't want to just make it another toy. And what I mean by that is I use that prosthetic just to see where I'm at. So if I present it and they're just chomping at it, they're missing, but those teeth are slamming together and you're watching that behavior of the dog and you know that had he had his mouth within that reach, he would have made that bite. You rest assured that if it had been your arm, he probably would have taken it. So if he, and you then give him that opportunity to bite it and he bites it and holds it, you know, that would have been a real bite. If he bumps it when he should have bitten it or smells it, you know that that would have happened on the street. He would have bit that flesh and went, oh, this isn't right. What is this? And so that would have probably been the failed bite. So, but you'll just want to use that as the opportunity to see where you're at on those. And then muzzle fighting the same way. So we want to use that muzzle to bump. And then just all um, the uncommon, the un... um, unnatural stuff so we could stuff a big pair of pants with maybe a bunch of sheets that the dog could bite that doesn't not going to hurt the uh, the decoy that we could use for the dog to bite you know just to see if he's going to bite that hold it let him shred it off that person if he wants to and then another escape if he's able to shred it you know so he's not smelling the the smell of that jute or smelling the 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 fake stuff you know so we just want to measure that out and see where he's at so those are all prep work, but those escapes are probably my favorite. And I'll follow up on that. You know, I think is doing it in training, and then you know, I think there's there are there are people. You know, if you live in a, a busier area and your department's busy, this isn't about intimidating the person with the dog or whatever. But if there's a legitimate reason, if your gang unit is chaining somebody up and he's going to go to jail anyway, having that dog out to prevent an escape. 100% control or 1,000% control. We're not going to bite this guy. But that guy doesn't want to go to jail, and he's putting out that the scent that we want. He's not happy about it. And he's seen this picture before where now this guy's going to get walked away and he's going to get put in a car. Then that's the time maybe I'm going to stand back and let that dog kind of get a little – I don't really necessarily want him barking. But I want to watch that dog. I want the ears up. I want him paying attention like – there was some work here and now it's going and then as he's walking away i'm going to go with that dog for a step or two i'm not going to there's not i don't care if there's body camera because i'm not leaned over saying get him get him get him get him and chasing him i'm just going to let that dog pay attention and just kind of walk towards him a little bit and just let him know that that could have been some work you know and let and let him keep seeing that picture where that just because this guy doesn't have any any equipment on dad's still interested in him so i should be interested in him and if the if I'll be able to read the dog then if there's some commotion and they're talking to the guy, the guy's clearly agitated, doesn't want to go to jail, but they're not fighting him, but he's putting off all the odor that where an experienced street dog probably is going to fire up. If this dog is now smelling the, the floor and, and walking around and not paying attention, then I know I need to go back to my basics escapes and show him you know, some, some scenario stuff and start working this dog up. But I would, I guess as an industry too, you know, I caution everybody you know with the the world we live in now 
your first bite or how many bites we get is not important at all. I think as long as the dogs are hunting people and they're finding them and they're staying with them, that's the more important part. And we shouldn't concentrate too much about the bites. I think if you if you get them around enough people and show them that those people are what we're looking for, that when that time comes, most of these dogs will transition over with without too much trouble. And and it's it's different. I mean, it, there's some dogs that that transition immediately, and then there's and I've seen I've seen a, the gamut. I've seen some very very strong dogs that have a hard time on the first one, and Katie bar the door on the second one because now it's like I figured it out. You know, so it, it's just one of those things. And I think also, you know, preparing new handlers if you haven't had a street bite. You know, as part of crisis rehearsal, you know, we've all had that. When you're walking up to the car, if he shoots, I'm going this way and whatever. Part of our crisis rehearsal should be, I've sent my dog and this guy's running down the street and now my dog's running next to him. What the hell am I going to do? Because, you know, those kind of things happen. Or I've sent my dog under a bush and he found the suspect, bumped him a few times and he left because he's never seen that picture before. That doesn't mean you're a failure. doesn't mean your program's a failure. doesn't mean your dog's a failure. It means that... It was a new thing to him, and he just needs to transition. Those, the the runaways with the dog chasing him, and the prone suspect that doesn't move are the two hardest things for the dogs, and they account for a lot of failures for new dogs. If that happens to you, you know, make sure you go back to your training group and say, "Hey, here's what happened," and let's start recreating, doing some muzzle work. So, Tasha, like Jeff was talking about, a passive suspect. Uh, I was on a SWAT call and my dog ended up locating the guy in the closet who was under um, a bunch of clothes and blankets. Could smell him, started barking. I gave the command to apprehend and the guy's one hand came up. He never saw that side picture. So for him, he's barking. He doesn't apprehend the guy, right? So we went back and trained it. So now we do a lot of like in the closet, people hiding under clothes, passive. They don't get a bite or they don't get any stem from the decoy unless they go in and give them a good hit. And then the decoy can then move or give them something. But we don't want the decoy stem in them at that point. Yeah, good good points. Anybody else have anything on that subject? Or? So biggest thing also is just like environmental stuff, like what we did today with the building searches. One group, there was a dog who had a lot of slick floor issues so we just worked through it we took it all the way basically back to a foundation standpoint and make sure each round that the dog went through he was succeeding through it so the next time dog had a little bit more confidence and then it just built or built up from there to the point to where the dog was now without any engagement from the handler jumping over a dresser trying to get to the decoy on slick floors and just basically just building up those environments for the dog and the team to show that when you build the confidence up in the dog, the handler or the newer handler is going to build its confidence up, up as well. So, good, good. Thanks, thanks for the question. Anybody else have any questions? We'll probably wrap this up, and we're just going to go down the line here real quick. We'll start here with Tasha. We're just going to talk real quick about just kind of you know maybe kind of the state of the industry as you see it, and what are what are changing. Not necessarily, not necessarily what's going on here this week, but let's just talk about. Canine, and I mean things are changing in law enforcement. And canine, and and what do you think? Uh, you know, just a couple minutes of, of of going through everybody and and where we're at and what we should be doing better. Um, I would just say that nowadays, especially in Colorado, we're being scrutinized with everything. Everything is on camera. 
Um, even if you have your video camera on, you're going to have a camera somewhere at a house or, you know, in a building somewhere. So they're getting different angles of it. Um, I think mainly like being clear headed if your dog is on a bike, slowing things down enough that you're assessing the situation properly. And then um, for us, we have to remove that, remove that force immediately um, per our new house bill. So if we do a lot of verbal outs now, which was uncommon when I first got on canine. Um, so I think being open-minded about stuff because police work is evolving so much that you have to now kind of get with the trend of, yes, we're doing verbal outs and it's, it's more tactically safe in some incidences. Um, so. Yeah, absolutely. And, and adapt to, unfortunately, like when you guys watch, you know, the political wins, it starts in California and then now we're becoming kind of a California and that stuff tends to drift this direction. So, you know, if it starts over there, it doesn't mean you guys have to follow it but maybe at least have it in your head that, you know, maybe we're going to have to change our tactics at some point. And the more on all of this stuff, whatever we're talking about, I always say, you know, write your own policy before they write that policy for you. So always be ahead and have your policies be a living document and make sure that you're ahead of all of the people who are, you know, right now, who are the police experts are the ones who can call the chief and yell at them that don't know anything about police work and they can tell the chief how to do things and a lot of the chiefs and sheriffs are saying absolutely i'll do that too because they're trying to to survive and make everybody like them so then they're changing your policy so if we keep moving our policies forward and like tasha said just watching what we're doing and changing how we do things then you know at least we're having a hand in our policy as opposed to having some activists write them for them and just to add to that real quick, we debrief all our bites as a team. Um, we talk about them and give constructive criticism on what we can always do better or tactically and, and move. We're not hindsight 2020 anybody's bites, um, just kind of getting it in their mind, like, why did you do that? And um, so I think that's good as a team because then we also learn, hey, he thought of this where we may not have. And then, um, you know, just going over the bite yeah, in good general. Point. And, good yeah. point. Jeffrey? Jeff Berry, got anything? All right. I am such a big proponent of report writing and documentation for your training that um, it's the foundation of reliability in no matter what aspect of your, your dog work. But we're talking about the patrol dogs. So you're looking at escalation of the use of force and de-escalation. So if you're looking at that from that standpoint and you're only writing those things in your police report, and if you're not, you should be. And if you're not writing that into your training records, you definitely should be. So those are the elements that we're going to be looking at from an expert standpoint to try and defend your actions. Uh, where, why did you escalate to the use of the force with the dog? Were there other options that you could have taken? Those questions will be asked of you. And so I want to see that. Uh, mindset on paper the articulation that you can put into that what were you thinking why you made that decision what was in that environment that caused you to make that decision above anything else uh, why did you discard uh, the the idea of using a taser or hands-on versus the dog right away uh, and articulate that these are the reasons why and Good if point. you can articulate those it just makes perfect sense um, 
why didn't you get the dog off the bite sooner? That's always the question, right? So articulation is de-escalation. That's where it's at. So, And then it goes right back to what we've talked about before, the MAV-1 tactics, you know, effectively handling that person with physical control and, and strikes to get him under compliance. And that's where we're at in the, the state of the industry is to get this dog um, off the bite and limit the amount of injuries that we're causing to people with the dog bite. Good point. Dan? I'm going to pass on over to AP. Okay. <laughs> All good points. And I know we want to wrap this up. Um, I, I would say, for me, clear control is paramount and a verbal release. This day and age, y- you got to have it. Um, I mean, there's case law on it that specifically states control and verbal releases and it's obtainable you just got to work for it um i'm not saying it's easy especially when you 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 have a dog that's getting out getting a bunch of deployments and um and to segue on what jess said about um training scenarios end at the bite i want to go back a step further and even as trainers and as as handlers i know i had one scenario today where it was uh, more for the dog but I'm a big proponent of, listen, you're going to go over here and give your warnings. Go to cover. Don't get complacent just because it's a training day. Don't walk up. I've been guilty of it. You know, it's you're on your sixth or seventh evolution. Make sure you're using cover when you give your commands. Start thinking that way so that you don't rise up to training. You fall back under stress. So if you're starting off right, hopefully you end right. And just try to work those in on your scenarios. If uh, if you're giving your warning, does does everybody stand at the threshold of the door? one foot off and the dog's right there and halfway inside back up a little bit however you're going to do it whatever your policy and procedures are but start thinking that safety aspect and and taking that all the way to the end um you get an engagement we're not running up anymore that's a training scar we don't we don't need to do that anymore let's stop let's slow things down let's look at his hands hey don't touch the dog we'll get him off if they're verbally surrendering and obviously you know it's not a very pleasant thing that's going on if it's got to that point um but where there's one there's two and there could be a weapon of opportunity so just slow things down and start that as trainers or as handlers start carrying that back to your to your to your teams and i'll leave it with this just because you can doesn't mean you should let's let's protect um the valuable tool that we have a locating tool that it is and um i'll leave it at that blake good point so i would i'd probably go with i believe we're in a new era in police work and in canine and we can't go back to the old one and I know how everybody feels about this because I used to feel the same way why are we being pushed to change in a world where you're asking us to do less with more or actually excuse me do more with less um, and we have a lot of expectations on ourselves as well as the citizens and the government and everything we're doing, the departments, they expect so much out of us and they expect us to be perfect at what we're doing. Uh, in that, I believe that as this new era is coming, we need to take the responsibility to meet that goal, to meet that high level of professionalism. We, if we had a doctor or we had a, um, somebody of a higher profession, we expect them to know exactly what they're doing and to do their job to the highest ability, have the most training they can possibly get, and when they are operating, when they're doing their job, to do it correctly, and we, 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 we believe in that. 
I feel like our citizens should feel the same way about us. When we show up to the call, oh, those professionals are going to do the right thing, they're going to do it correctly, they're going to do it the best of their ability. So that being said, uh, I think we need to level up and evolve into what we're doing. It's not a fun thing. Uh, change sucks and change is scary. But the change that we need needs to be made by us as instructors and handlers around the country. And we need to push these values that we're talking about so that our community, our cover officers, our departments, and the people who are making the law understand what we're doing and believe in what we're doing. Uh, I don't believe in allowing um, other entities that don't have the experience that we do to build and to do all these laws when we have so many great professionals, so many instructors that have so much experience that are trying to push us in the right direction. So I would say as handlers, and this is a hard thing for SWAT, TAC, uh, canine, whatever it is, for us to just kind of open ourselves up to new ways of doing things, not getting rid of the old ways, improving on them and getting better on what we're doing so that we are seen as the same level of a professional as a surgeon or as a, as a, uh, as a lawmaker or, or, or a lawyer. Um, I think we deserve that for ourselves to save our um, profession, to save ourselves from uh, making mistakes that we can't go back on. So I think we should uh, be up in our game so that we can make a better uh, impact. Good point. Good point. All right, guys, we're going to wrap this up. So thanks to all the trainers and thanks for everybody that came down here and got a few beers from us and are sharing the, the evening here with us and uh, asking some questions. And we're looking forward to the next couple days. we got a lot more training to come. So thanks, guys.